in the late 80s, there were five of us that left the Miami airport to fly into Iquitos, Peru. We were to have a nonstop flight from Miami into Iquitos, and I vaguely remember in the fog of my sleep hearing something being said to the effect that we will not be landing in Iquitos because of a thunderstorm. We'll be flying on to Lima. We landed in Lima probably about 3 a.m. in the morning. We get into the airport, and we were told that because you're on an international flight, tomorrow morning you will be the first flight to go from Lima to Iquitos. The first flight came, and we were not on it. The second flight came, and we were not on it. And there were quite a few Americans on the flight, and quite a few other Americans got another flight on a different airline. Would have cost $500 per person. We didn't have the money $500 per person on us to do that. The third flight came and went without us. I kept going to the counter and saying to them at the counter, look, we were promised, we were told we're on an international flight, we're to get the first flight out. The next one came and went without us. About four or five o'clock that afternoon, this is after being in the airport, <clears throat> 14, 15 hours, they said, we'll put you up for the night. We'll send you to a hotel. And we had acquired two or three other Americans also that were going to Iquitos to visit the same missionaries. And I said, I'm not leaving the airport because we'll never get out of here. So the rest of them went to the, air, or to the hotel. A fellow in the other group and I stayed and slept while one of us guarded our goods, the other one slept, and then we would alternate back and forth. So the next morning rolled around, and I again went to the counter, and I said, you know, we're due to be out of here. We're supposed to fly, international flight. First flight, was, we were supposed to be on, but we weren't. We'll still, we are still here. Next flight, next flight. So lo and behold, we're supposed to get on the next flight. We went out, and they pulled the airline out of the, or airplane out of the hangar. And after a while, they said, we're not going to be boarding because there's a problem with that airplane. So I was back in and wait some more. And again, I went to the counter. I don't know how many times I was to the counter. And I said, when do we get out of here? Next flight, don't worry. So another flight came and left without us. So I went to the counter again. And I said to the personnel behind the counter, we have been promised flight after flight, next flight we get to go and we have not gone. I want to talk to the big people in the back, the higher ups. I said, I want to talk to them now. And if I don't get to talk to them now, I'm going to come over the counter and I'm going to go talk to them. I was not angry. I was not bitter. We were promised. And we, were, you know, should have been fulfilled. They said, you cannot talk to them. I said, I'm telling you for one more time. I want to talk to them or I'm coming over the counter. I said, you cannot talk to them. I crawled over the counter. I went into the back room and I said, we've been here for about 30 hours now. Flight after flight is going to Iquitos and we have not been on it. We've been promised I would like some action. Next flight, next flight.
I came out, and I can't remember if it was the next flight or the flight after that, but we spent about 36 hours waiting to get out of the airport. And some of those with us said, Pastor, that took a lot of nerve. And I've shared that a couple of times along the way over the years, and they said, that just doesn't sound like you. Maybe it doesn't sound like me, but people saw a part of my character that they never saw before. I wasn't angry, I wasn't bitter, but I was a leader, and I don't know if we'd still be there or not if I hadn't gone over the counter. The 12 in Mark 4, 35 through 41, are experiencing another aspect of Jesus' character. They didn't see this side of him. They're in the midst of a storm, and what does Jesus do? He calms the storm. Some of the 12 who are experienced fishermen are on the Sea of Galilee, or fished in the Sea of Galilee, were fearful that the end was near. As they experienced the character of Jesus in calming the storm, their response is not one of thankfulness, thank you, Lord, but rather one of fear and terror because they never saw this part of Christ. Reading together Mark 4, 35 through 41. That same day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Last week we looked at this passage. We have looked at other passages to this point in the Gospel of Mark. And we have found that Christ is unique. He's the Son of God. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit, which has already taken place from our time or point of view. He is sensitive to the Spirit of God. He is able to resist Satan. This being, this character, this identity of Jesus is expressed in his words and actions throughout the Gospel of Mark. He proclaimed the good news of God. He taught with authority. He cast out an evil spirit, quieted and cast out an evil spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He prayed. He talked to his father. He preached in the synagogue and drove out demons. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a paralytic. He called Levi a tax collector to follow him. Tax collectors were not valued at all. 
He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He taught concerning fasting. He taught concerning the Sabbath, saying he was Lord of the Sabbath. He called 12 men to follow him, to be with him, so that they could preach and drive out demons. He taught concerning blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. He redefined family in the sense that, you know, over who does my will is my brother, my sister, my mother. He taught his disciples concerning the kingdom of God. And in the portion of scripture that we read a few moments ago, he was God or powerful over nature. Quiet, be still. And the 12 men that are with him are terrified. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're seeing an aspect of Jesus that they had not seen before. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him heal a leper. They saw him heal others. They saw him teach with authority. But they did not see this display of power over nature. It's just like me going over to the counter. People never saw that side of me before. That there's a stick to There's an expectation that when a promise is made, it is going to be fulfilled. They didn't see Jesus in this way. As you read through the Gospels, you read through <clears throat> particularly the Gospel of Mark, since that's what we're discussing, we find that the identity, the character, the being of Jesus Christ is so critical. Christ claims to be the new patch, the new wine, new wineskins. He's the seed. He's the secret of the kingdom of God, and he's light. He's the only way into relationship with God. That creates conflict but also opportunity. I want you to think about your life for a minute. If you're a believer in Christ, when has your faith in Christ, a conviction that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, as some items listed there, created some conflict for you? Because of your relationship with God through Christ and seeking to live in light of who he is and what he has done, that that created conflict. Think about that for a minute as I share an example from my own life as a student in college, sitting in class at Delaware Valley College. And in biology class, we had three profs, depend on the area of biology as to which one taught. And I remember very distinctly the prof standing up one day, and he went on to great lengths to explain that there was this gap in the process of evolution. And I thought, Maybe I ought to tell them about the gap. <laughs> and it's about Jesus. He's creator. You know, he didn't start the process. He did it. Hebrews 1, John 1. That created some conflict for me. And what do I put down on the test? Do I raise my hand in class and say, Prof, you know, I don't agree. 
Do I talk to some students afterwards as we're doing some dissecting on our piglet? Now, this piglet didn't just evolve. There's a creator behind us. See, my conviction of Christ and who he was created some conflict. In your life, has your conviction that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be ever created conflict for you in life? That's a good thing if it did because we live in a world that does not, to a large extent, follow Christ. The CEO of American Airlines resigned this week or late last week. And from what I understand, and I don't know where he is spiritually, the reason he resigned as CEO of American Airlines is because American Airlines is going to file for Chapter 11. Filing for Chapter 11 means that American Airlines is no longer responsible for some of their debts, people that they owe money to. And he concluded that he could not lead American Airlines to withdraw from being responsible and paying money that they're responsible to pay. Rather than getting out of paying money, I will step out of being CEO. I don't know where he is spiritually, but that's what Christ may cost us sometimes. Because we're convinced of who he is, what he has done, and we live accordingly. I'm with the conviction that unless we are convinced of the identity, the being, the character of Jesus Christ and who he is and live in light of that, our daily lives don't reflect Christ. Is one of the reasons teenagers, as they move into their young adult years, who are raised in the church, who are raised in professing Christian homes, fall by the wayside, is that they're never convinced of the majestic character, identity, and being of Jesus Christ, along with the work that he did on the cross. Sometimes we say, we need to provide for people what they want, the type of music they want, whether it's traditional or contemporary, the type of service they want, whatever type it may be. We need to provide programs. We need to provide Jesus. And his identity, his character, his being, his work. Saying to young people, we're not going to necessarily give what you want. We're challenging you to radical discipleship for Jesus Christ. An older saint saying, we want to be radical for Jesus because we're convinced of who he is. He is the one who can heal. He is the one who came from the dead. He is the one who is in the new wineskins and so on. Christ in the Gospels, presenting him for who he is. And in application, meditate upon Christ. Meditate upon Christ. His being, his character as displayed in his actions. In the account we just read in Matthew 
or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, or other passages earlier in the Gospel of Mark. The challenge to unbelievers is Christ. The challenge to young people, to new believers, is Christ. I'm deeply concerned that many times we follow Christ for what he will do only, rather than for who he is in his character, in his identity, in his being, in his work on the cross. <coughs> A marked difference between following him for what he will do versus for who he is. We can teach Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. And as we teach that, we may see a story about Jesus. When was the last time it was taught to adults or teenagers who children, they got to the end of the story and then they go, wow, I'm scared. I never saw such power like that. The seasoned fishermen are terrified because here's one who is the son of God who was power, had power over nature. Meditate upon that. Think about Christ. It makes a big difference in how we live and how we respond. Parents, grandparents, older believers, Please understand that there's a direct parallel between genuine discipleship and the identity, the character, the being, the cross, the resurrection of Christ, and the glory of Christ in the future. It's like a set of tracks. You can't have one without the other. Why would the 12 die for Christ? Because they saw him for who he was. They saw his miracles. They saw him teach. They identified with him. They were convinced that he was who he claimed to be. Therefore, what he did on the cross was sufficient. Therefore, a willingness to die for Christ. Beloved, the solution is not more programs, having more activities, having certain styles of music. It is Christ in his being, his identity, his character, along with the cross, the resurrection, and his glory. That's what changes the inside as the Spirit of God works. Unless the Spirit of God works through Christ and we follow Him for who He is and what He has done, we're merely putting paint on a rusty barrel. There's a vast difference between an 18-year-old saying no to friends to be with family 
because they want to versus being told they have to. They want to be with family because God has done a work in their life and they value family. There's a big difference between a 16-year-old being told you cannot watch that TV program because it has some immorality versus that 16-year-old sitting down and saying, oh, I see what direction this program's going. I'm going to turn it off because Jesus is Lord of my life and he's at work in my life. So it affects the desire from the inside out. Meditate on Christ. Parents, grandparents, older believers, why do we strive so hard to give children or grandchildren or younger believers that which may destroy them? Rather than promoting the identity, the character of Jesus. How many of us have spent time explaining to someone else, our children, our grandchildren, a new believer, a younger believer, concerning the identity, the character, the being of Jesus Christ? How much time have we devoted that in the last month versus working 60 or 70 hours to provide things for others? We'll buy the toys that the world says people need. It might be the internet, it might be the computer, it might be TV, it might be some games. We might be sending them to the movies. But do we explain to them Jesus Christ and his identity, his character, his being? We might provide a cell phone for them, but have we told them how to have a direct line to heaven through Jesus Christ and the freedom they have in prayer because of Christ and his identity, character, being, and work and the fact that he is our great high priest. The Gospel of Mark is not about merely what Jesus did. It's about who he is. And because of who he is, he could do what he did. A couple of questions. Have we domesticated Jesus in Christianity today? Do we merely present Jesus alone in his majestic being, character, identity? Do we trust methods, programs, money, worship, styles, influence, books, speakers, etc.? rather than presenting Christ in his awesome character, identity and being, the work of the cross, the resurrection. Who died on the cross? The one whose identity, character, and being is presented in the gospel of Mark along with other places. As we walk with Christ, we may experience persecution as the Roman believers did. That's to whom Mark was writing to. And perhaps as John the Baptist experienced, probably part of life at times. The student who went to school, and this goes back a number of years, and I think I got this right, and if I'm a little bit off, the person will have to forgive me. The issue of evolution came up. And that student graciously challenged the teacher and suffered a penalty for it. 
These Roman believers are reading, hearing Mark's gospel, and they read about the fact that here's Jesus. He calmed the storm. He healed the sick. He taught with authority. And they're going to be in Nero's garden or somewhere else because of their faith in Christ, you know, a human torch. They think, you know, I'll go any day and be a human torch for Jesus because of who he is. But if I'm not convinced of who he is, I'll back off. But if I'm convinced of who he is, there's a willingness to take a stand. To use this account, the claim that Jesus will calm the storms in your life, I think is contrary to what Jesus taught. You know, sometimes Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41 is used. You know, he calmed the storm for the disciples and he'll calm all the storms in your life. But that's contrary to what is written in the epistles. What is communicated in the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation and also what Jesus taught. Now remember, life is full of trouble. The gospel brings family struggles. Someone in the family comes to faith in Jesus Christ and that creates a family struggle. Jesus is with us in the trials of life. Trials are used to mature us as we rejoice. God wants to give us wisdom for us to walk through our struggles. God will take our trials and work them for good. Persecution is part of living for God, 1 Peter. Death may come due to living for Christ, according to Revelation. As you read the Gospels, as you think about the passage in Mark 4, it's not a promise that God is going to deliver us from all our struggles. He calmed the storm for the disciples. But that doesn't mean he's going to cause every, or calm every storm in our life. He may let us go through them to mature us. To love him, it may result in open doors to share Christ. But I think a lot goes back to, are we convinced Jesus is who the Gospels say he is? Are we convinced of that? And in light of who he is, he died on the cross, he arose from the dead, and he's in glory, and there's future glory coming. But that's hinged upon who he is. You can't separate the two. This is hard for us to imagine. There's a pastor currently in Vietnam being tortured because he is convinced that Jesus Christ 
is who Mark presents him to be. And he is told that if he denies Jesus, he'll be turned free. If he doesn't deny Jesus, then we're going to torture your wife in your presence. And if you still don't recant, we're going to torture your children in your presence. And to this point, he has made it very clear that I, for no reason, will turn my back on Jesus Christ. We have not been there. But do we stand tall in our day-by-day living, in living out our faith, because we're convinced of who Jesus Christ is, whatever the price may be? But again, it goes back to Christ. Loving him being yielded to him. Two questions. Have you come, in, come into a relationship with God through Christ? Is he your savior? Can you say, God is my father? If you have not, why not trust him today? If you have trusted in Christ... Are you in love with Jesus, who he is? Not merely what he will do. Are you following him in a way that may be costly at times? Let's pray together.